Step up to a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. iFit controls speed, incline, and decline, which means the treadmill automatically mimics the changing terrain on the screen or adjusts the speed to the trainer's cues without you having to touch a thing. Explore Nordic Track treadmills at nordictrack.com. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training and racing and endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. Today we're going to talk about an important topic, blood donation and how to fit it into your life as an endurance athlete. If you've never donated blood, we'll give you the basics and alleviate any fear you might have. And if you're a regular donator, we'll help you with best practices so it doesn't create too big of a speed bump in your routine. Helping us to these topics is Dr. Jed Gorlin, the medical director of three blood centers and two hospitals. Is that what you said, Dr. Gorlin? The transfusion service at two hospitals. The transfusion service. Basically, you are a blood transfusion guru. Is that I'm like... a vampire. What can I say? <laughs> He's a vampire. Awesome. Well, welcome, Dr. Gorlin. We're thrilled you can join us. Um, so let's start with the current situation. We're heading into the year anniversary of the pandemic, and we've also had some epic storms nationwide. How is blood donation going? Are we in a shortage? I've, I've read a little bit about it. So um, it is a challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. We are incredibly blessed in the United States with one of the world's safest uh, and most abundant blood supplies because our donors are so incredibly generous. That said, we are not, I, although I cover multiple blood centers, the one in uh, Minnesota where I, I reside collects about 50% of its products by going to the donor, churches, schools, uh, business, blood drives, and about 50% donors coming into our fixed sites. Um, almost immediately with the onset of COVID, we had to stop high school drives, <laughs> but Similarly, church drives and uh, um, business drives uh, also came mostly to a crashing halt. You can't maintain six feet of distance on a mobile bus. Um, and so even as we were able to reinstitute some mobile drives, uh, they had to be all inside setups, which uh, only those businesses that had the room to facilitate that uh, we've been able to have, uh, you know, wonderful social distancing between uh, donors, et cetera. But the bottom line is it makes it that much harder to keep up. Shortly after onset of COVID, a lot of elective procedures were canceled. So fortunately, usage went down at the same time as collection. Uh, you can only delay your hip or your knee or whatever so long. Uh, and so many of those procedures have now been happening and blood usage is almost back up to baseline. And things like cancer certainly uh, never went away. So platelet usage is, is uh, uh, continues to climb. Bottom line is we're doing okay, but it's really challenging around holidays. Um, uh, summer will be a challenge as well. Um, now with, with people being vaccinated, we're hoping things will come back to normal. Ah, that's that's positive news. I mean, I read one stat that at least 60% of Americans are healthy enough to donate blood, um, but only 5% donate regularly. Is that true? That's pretty depressing. Um, it is. I mean, I would like to say in Minnesota where our women are strong, our men are good looking, and all our donors are above average, it's probably <laughs> closer to 7%. Uh, that said, 
we recognize it is a big deal to take time to come into a center or take time off from work or whatever to, to go down to the blood drive. Um, but that is exactly how we support our completely volunteer uh, donor supply. Um, uh, certainly when you're, um, you, there's a minimum size, a uh, minimum weight, um, there is no maximum age, but certainly as people get, you know, older and whiter and grayer than me, medical stuff happens where, uh, where donating is no longer uh, as, as feasible. So yes, we absolutely need people to be donating during the prime of their running life. Yeah, yeah. Well, are runners and more active people ideal people? ideal to donate or is that just you know us feeling like we're all virtuous and fit is it does it really matter we're all <laughs> virtuous and fit so i i actually row for the minneapolis rowing club um, and my purpose in competition is to make all the other competitors feel better by coming in last so i have little <laughs> to no athletic prowess just enthusiasm um and in truth for most recreational athletes um, the amount of red cells you lose in a standard donation uh, is not something you can you can honestly sense. Um, it is not lost upon you that the reason Lance Armstrong got in trouble was blood doping, probably through erythropoietin um, to increase his blood count. Um, if you are Jesse Diggins, our great Minnesota uh, World Cup cross-country skier, who won literally the Olympic gold by sticking her foot out ahead of the other uh, competitor, a tiny, you know, a hundredth of a percent faster is the difference between gold and silver. So if you're truly competing at the uh, Olympic level, then yeah, um, losing some red cells for six to eight weeks does not enhance your aerobic performance. For the rest of us, that would be a feeble excuse as to why I come in last. Okay. <laughs> or why not to donate? Well, um, you talked a little bit about platelet and um, cancer patients. Can you just tell us the difference between blood and platelet donation? Yeah. So the most common uh, donation type, uh, about 10 million a year is whole blood collection. We literally clean off your arm, stick a needle in it, uh, collect blood for about 10 minutes, uh, get about a pint. It's actually 500 mils because we're metric. Um, and that results in about a 200 uh, mil red cell loss, which is 200 milligrams of iron, which I will get back to. Okay. Um, and um, you recover that blood volume uh, within a day or so, which is why it's important the reason we give you cookies is not because we're nice cookie people. It's we want you to drink something because restoring the liquid volume is is what decreases the chance of fainting post uh, donation. Um, if you're donating by uh, sitting in a chair for a couple hours uh, collecting platelets where we give you back essentially all your red cells, um, then there's really no significant, uh, you lose about two tablespoons okay. of, of red cells, uh, but there's no significant drop in red cells. So if you were really want to donate and you can donate up to 24 times a year for platelets that have, and, and truly have no effect on your aerobic capacity, donate platelets or plasma uh, because that really is taking, you know, a minimum 
amount of, of red cells with each donation. Okay. Um, if you take iron, even the amount of irons and multivitamins with iron, uh, uh, you know, low dose iron, then that does an incredible job of helping your body restore that red cell volume in six to eight weeks. If you don't take iron and you are a female of reproductive age, i.e. you have menstrual periods, then even two donations can lower your iron stores, which does have an effect on, on uh, aerobic and physical capacity. Uh, but the, the best preventative is just take your multivitamin with iron. All right. And what about, could you use foods to replace the iron or is that a little bit more iffy? No. So food is great. And, and in truth, iron rich foods, and it doesn't have to be meat, although heme iron is particularly easy to absorb. Um, uh, spinach and raisins are, you know, contain a fair amount of iron. The problem is that diet alone is really hard to replace all the iron you just took out in a whole blood donation. Okay. So you don't have to take the supplemental iron, but it sure is easier. Okay. All right. Well, so um, so let's go back to the kind of the process. So if someone's listening to this and has never given but is intrigued, and um, can you talk a little bit about a first-time donor? What are some of their common fears, what they can expect when they get to a donation center? Sure. So at, while it used to be that we would encourage drop-in donations um, in these COVID times in order to protect the donors and keep spacing, uh, almost every blood center is requesting a donation by appointment, and that helps us protect you. Um, it's important to, to have plenty of liquids uh, before. Uh, we certainly encourage you to eat, but it's, it's really the, the liquids that are important. Um, we then literally ask you 44 questions about drugs, about sex, about rock and roll. I made <laughs> up the part about rock and roll. Uh, but part of the safety of the blood supply is... Uh, making sure that people have not had exposures to things that can be spread by blood. And it's not to be making any kind of value statement or any kind of judgment, but the reality is certain activities, IV drugs, and yes, men having sex with men, do put you at increase for risk for hepatitis B, C, and HIV. Um, so we ask a bunch of questions and then uh, um, uh, we will uh, sit you in a comfortable chair um, Put a cleaning solution on your arm, which is uh, uh, typically either iodine or, or chlorhexidine. Uh, the iodine is sort of brownish in color, uh, but it gets all wiped off with an alcohol wipe. Um, and then you get poked with a needle and um, it is okay to, to tell folks that the needle is kind of big. And the, the good part about it is then the blood comes out fast enough that you're only sitting there for, for uh, six to 10 minutes for the, for the blood to come out. I forgot to say, you actually get poked twice, once in your finger to make sure your hemoglobin is high enough, and that's to protect you, the runner. We don't want to make somebody more anemic if they're already starting anemic. That wouldn't be fair to the, the donor, and it wouldn't yield a very good product. Um, so the finger poke, actually, many people uh, are more <laughs> upset or or dislike the finger poke than the arm poke. Why? When you want to touch something, you touch something with your fingers, not the inside of your arm, because your fingers are much more sensitive. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, poking somebody in the earlobe or other places that they used to do isn't very accurate. So in order to protect the donor, uh, make sure we're not making an anemic donor more anemic, it's important to have a, a, a accurate measure and that you get from the finger stick poke. 
but it literally is like three drops of blood. Yeah, yeah, no, I've had that. I mean, I've donated before, and that that was one um, way that I learned that I was anemic a couple years ago, which was helpful. I had no idea, you know. I mean, I probably had the symptoms, but I just wasn't paying attention, you know. Yeah, I had a daughter competing on the the cross country ski team, and got her hemoglobin down to a quite low point. And you know, early teens can often have very irregular periods that lose a lot of iron. So she was a case in point where a couple of months iron, she was way back to. Losing races like me. <laughs> you guys sound like a good Minnesota family. You got your Nordic skiing, your rowing. I love it. I love it. Whatever your reason for running indoors, whether parenting duties, safety, or convenience, you owe it to yourself to get a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit Interactive Connected Technology. It's a game changer. With a huge touchscreen, iFit transports you to an energetic studio workout class or stunning locations filmed in more than 40 countries across all seven continents iFit offers up thousands of on-demand workouts from walking and hiking excursions up to speed building intervals and everything in between. There are even yoga boot camp and cross-training sessions that will have you hopping off the treadmill. As I await delivery of my Nordic Track treadmill with iFit technology, I'm living vicariously through other mother runners who are already putting in miles on theirs, like Pam Harris, who was a guest on last week's show. Pam wrote in an email, I love using the iFit workouts on my Nordic Track treadmill to travel out of my house. I'm a beach girl stuck far from the ocean, so my favorite runs always involve the water, like today's four-miler along the coast of Santa Cruz, California. I also enjoy walking and hiking tours that take me to faraway locales. I've been traversing New England with trainers Jed Brophy and Graham McTavish, and I adore both the scenery and the guy's banter. Working from home, I sweet-talk my dad into making me a treadmill desk, and I walk and work for an hour or so several days a week. As Pam details, the possibilities on a Nordic track are endless. To see what she and I are talking about, head to nordictrack.com. That's N-O-R-D-I-C-T-R-A-C-K.com. See where you can go with Nordic Track Treadmill with iFit. Okay, so let's put donation in the context of workouts. So if I have a donation appointment on a Tuesday and I have a workout that day, um, when should I do it? Should I do it before or after the donation? Um, so it takes a few hours to restore the blood volume from a whole blood donation. Again, from a platelet donation, you're not really changing any volume. So, so platelet donations almost have no effect whatsoever on, on athletic activity. But the most common donation, the whole blood donation, you're losing a pint of fluid and the reason some people feel faint uh, after donation is there's not that much, uh, uh, there's less blood going to the head. Um, And if it's a hot day or you're doing intense exercises, that's going to make you vasodilate, right? So you can sweat. But if you vasodilate and there's less fluid in the tank, uh, you are at greater risk of hypotension. So yeah, it's probably best to wait a good 24 hours um, post-donation uh, to do truly intensive uh, workout or, or a hot day. Um, frankly, if you donated first thing in the morning by late afternoon, you're probably mostly re, uh, re-equilibrated as far as, as volume shifts. Okay. Um, and, and again, it's, it's taking... Uh, if only for practical convenience, we take one volume from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I am one meter 95. I am six foot five and a half and on the wrong side of a hundred kilos or the wrong side of 220 pounds. 
Um, so when I take a unit from me, it's a much smaller percentage of my blood volume than if they take that same unit from you. So again, depending upon uh, the specific donors, uh, smaller donors, females who females have a smaller blood volume for the same height weight than males, uh, you know, maybe more uh, sensitive to that. Sure, sure. Well, and so let's talk about. Um... Like before, uh, to, they, you talked about vol- blood volume a lot. So drinking. So am I? So if, again, if I'm donating Tuesday morning, is it okay to have a glass of wine on Monday night? Does that make a difference having like you know any alcohol, or am I hydrating like Monday afternoon, Tuesday so morning? Alcohol is a diuretic. Uh-huh. On one glass of wine the night before. No, it's it's does not really matter. Okay. Uh, we would not recommend uh, uh, significant alcohol consumption either immediately prior or immediately post. Okay. Because the classic alcohol picture uh, is the guy with the big red nose. It is a vasodilator. Uh, so actually alcohol post-donation also potentially increases your risk of fainting. Okay. And what about caffeine? Does that have any effect, like having a cup of coffee or two before you come? <laughs> Actually, caffeine has been shown to have a beneficial effect um, on decreasing the risk of fainting. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, instead of giving cookies and milk post-donation, we should probably be giving everybody Mountain Dew or something. <laughs> uh, that said, caffeine is also a diuretic. So uh, it does make you pee more, so you may actually have to drink extra fluid just to compensate for the fact that some of it's going to land up in the toilet. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, and then is there any, you know, when I'm when I'm rehydrating after I donate, is there any benefit to drinking something like a Gatorade or Noon or a sports drink versus straight up water? Or is it just water is okay? So, so this is going to truly irritate your sponsors. Yeah, uh, I have the honor of being a, a, a high school, junior high and high school a science fair judge. Oh, okay. <laughs> and one of the one of the most entertaining uh, uh, posters I saw was a high school, pretty decent track athlete that conned all of his distance runner colleagues into joining his science fair experiment, and so he had them all run a mile at their their you know, competitive top speed, um, and then all rerun after either Gatorade um, or water, um, and then fantastically did it like a, the next week, crossover study, given the other one. Um, and you can't blind somebody because they know exactly what they what it tastes like. Sure. Um, but in fact, people did better um, with the water than they did with the Gatorade, and it was statistically significant. Huh. Um, so Gatorade is great for getting all those electrolytes back into you. It's just that you absorb water faster than a salty, sugary solution. Uh, so for immediate rehydration, you're actually better off with plain water. It's cheaper. Sure. Uh, for... Um, Replacement, I mean, you know, I, we will do summer workouts for an hour and a half on the Mississippi River where, by definition, the humidity is 100%. And, you know, you sweat it out five or six pounds, uh, you knew, do need to replace those electrolytes. So I have nothing against Gatorade, but um, 
Water works. Water works for some of this. This, this did he turn in his uh, like? Did he try to get it uh, you know published or anything, or did it just make it? He was a high make, school kid, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. that's fun though. I like. I like. It, he made it to the Twin Cities regional level. He was happy. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, um, I, I don't know if regattas are going on or if they went on last summer, um, but you know, people aren't racing as much these days. But how do you time a donation if you did have a race that you cared about your performance in? So you know, do you give your like? Would you? give yourself two two weeks off before make sure it's within a certain window or does it not really matter so much um so again if you are truly of olympic caliber you probably shouldn't be uh and and one of my rowing colleagues is in florida right now uh, trying out at the u.s olympic trial so i suspect she did not donate blood for at least six to eight weeks before the competition in part because she needs to train at top you know level as well um for everybody else uh you know if you're just the casual athlete race then i probably wouldn't do it for a couple of weeks before a race that i actually cared about that said the difference in number of seconds is probably something you could measure on one hand. So there was a wonderful study looking at decrease in fatigue post blood transfusion. And basically, if you ask just, you know, subjective self-report, very little difference after one unit. It's only after two or more units that people really have a noticeable improvement in their in their capacity. And these were like, you know, cardiac patients that have trouble getting up a flight of stairs. Sure. Conversely, dropping one unit, dropping one gram uh, uh, per deciliter, which is what typically happens after a blood donation, uh, again, the, the, the typical armchair athlete is not going to notice that. A double red cell donation, um, that will keep you down for months. And so uh, for your true, we absolutely need the double red cells, especially people who are O negative. Uh, but if you're a truly competitive athlete, don't do that. Okay. All right. Nice. Is there anything else you've been super helpful, Dr. Gorlin? Anything else you want to add? Yeah. Um, I, the sad reality is our typical blood donor looks kind of like me. Um, we have a age-dependent demographic, and whether it's Canada, Europe, United States, it's all the same. Uh, the typical blood donor is now in their late 50s, early 60s. Oh, wow. Um, and so we need to get, you know, your and the next generation going because it is a truly 100% dependent upon volunteers to to donate. And, you know, donating once in high school is is fine. But what we really need is people to come back regularly. And, you know, if everybody donated once or twice a year, that we would be in robust shape. Uh, so we don't need people donating a ton. We just need it regularly and consistently. Nice. And is there is there a minimum age? Is it 16 or 15 or is it so state dependent? Almost every state, you are a legally emancipated adult for the purpose of consenting to donating blood at 17. Okay. In many states, uh, uh, probably the majority of states, 16-year-olds can donate with parental permission uh, and that happened in my own state after 175 pound 50, uh, 15-year-olds uh, uh, who was a football player. His grandfather was dying of leukemia and he really wanted to donate, you know, to help his, his grandfather. Sure. Um, and so the uh, 
just happened that the legislator in his district was a nurse who said, yeah, that makes no sense. And so that's how we got the 16-year-old approval in our state. Nice. And what's the weight minimum for females? So again, uh, so the FDA weight minimum is 110 pounds or 50 kilos. Um, Almost every blood sender has additional uh, height and weight nomogram such that if your total blood, if your predicted blood volume is less than three and a half liters, uh, we will not, we will suggest that you not donate Okay. So basically, if you're five feet tall, you probably need, and, and 17 or 18, you need to be about 140, 45 pounds. Um, and once you get up to 5'8", then it gets down to 110 pounds. Uh, but if you're 5'8 and 110 pounds, then, then we need to be feeding you anyway. <laughs> exactly. You need those cookies, right? Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Gorlin. I hope that uh, you're, you're do you, are you rowing these days uh, inside? Oh, so the Mississippi River is frozen. Most of yeah. us have, have what we call concept two rowing machines or ergs. Um, and I would like to say that I, I do that on a regular basis. Unfortunately, with COVID, I have been baking on a regular basis. Oh, good, good. Right. Which is an exercise, but it's a lot of fun and it tastes really good. Good, good. Awesome. Well, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Dimity. That was great. Thank you so much. You know, I used to, I'm from the Twin Cities. I should have told you that before we started, but I rode, uh, I'm I'm tall too. I'm like 6'4". Um, and I rode at MRC for, um, in my college career in the summertime. So oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, it was and, really fun. And, and how long ago was that? I mean, a long time ago in the nineties, early nineties, I rode the, the Heinrichs, are Todd and Anne still around? Do you know them? They, they, they absolutely are. And what absolutely wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they Anne has since started just to, talking about wonderful organizations Anne started one trying to, uh, uh, bring the sport to disadvantaged uh, inner city kids oh. in North Minneapolis. So how cool is that? It's That's North awesome. Star Rowing. I, I did not know that. I knew she was coaching cross country. Yeah. So she's or uh, Nordic skiing. Yeah. So yeah, they were good friends. I mean, I still, I still keep in touch with them, but I live in Colorado now, so not as much, but yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, I love that you're, how long have you been there? So I rode the summers of 70, six and 77 okay uh, when i was in college uh and then uh i moved back here in 97 uh but it, frankly it was i you know I had young kids so it wasn't really until about 2005 six when i was turning 50 getting old and fat now i'm older and fatter but uh, <laughs> i've been rowing essentially for the last 15 years at mrc oh, great. and it's actually growing it's doing they're doing a fantastic job that's great well, good. Well, was... frozen right now, so. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, thanks a lot. That was great. Um, and I will send this over um, when this is runs uh, on Tuesday, so you guys can take a look at it. Well, most kind of you. Thank you, Dimity. All right. Take care. Bye.